You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Good morning. Thank you for listening to episode 546 of the Nick Luck Daily Podcast. My name's Charlotte Greenway. I'm in for Nick as he's on his way back from Saratoga, as I'm sure you already know. It's Wednesday the 10th of August and I'll be joined by the Racing Post Lee Mottleshead shortly. And we'll also hear from young trainer Ed Bethel, who could have a very exciting runner this weekend. Neve Woods of Rathbury Stud on State of Rest and Godolphin Island's MD Joe Osborne on their Irish trained horses. But first, Jeremy Martin, clerk of the course at Salisbury Racecourse, joins me ahead of their key meeting of the year, which will take place over the next couple of days. And Jeremy, the recent heat waves and drought haven't made your job easy, have they? No, certainly not. I mean, it's been like this um, dry, bright, sunny with very little rain for, for six weeks now. I mean, the, the, the summer's been much drier, um, the spring and summer's been much drier than, than, than a standard year. But certainly since um, the end of June, you know, we, we've had in the last six weeks, we've had three millimetres of rain. And not only has it been dry, you know, it, it's been warm and it's been sunny. And with us being a downland course and the particular makeup of our of our own soil does make, um, you know, water, is we don't retain water as well, perhaps as, as, as other courses. So we do really have to work extra hard to, to, to try and keep the ground decent. In fact, we, we raced twice in July on, on ground that was predominantly firm because because nature beat us after that really hot heat wave. Um, but we've sort of we have upped our game in the last um, ten days. We, we've done more in the way of watering because I was determined for this for this two day fixture that featured two of our biggest races of the year that we would provide the best ground we really possibly could. I mean, we 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 we've thrown forty millimeters at it in the last eight days, uh, including a quick three millimeters up most of the last six and a half um, this morning. Uh, this watering that you and your team have got to do in these circumstances, it's a substantial amount. Does this have a different impact on the ground from what natural rain would? Yeah, there's nothing better than natural rainfall because it, you know, it, it falls over a steady period of time, sometimes many hours, in, in, often in much cooler temperatures, in cloud cover. So there, there is, of course, nothing better than natural rainfall. Um, and, um, you know, we, we all understand that. Um, but, um, you know, watering is the, is, the, is the next best alternative. We're very lucky here at Salisbury that we have a, a borehole that's very efficient in sucking up water and um, supplying our, um, our boom and reel watering system. We're able to, you know, water pretty efficiently, and it's 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 the only thing we can do. And if we if we couldn't, then the, the track would be in a pretty desperate state. And the the ground maybe puts trainers off. Do you think this is unnecessary? It's good to firm, which is probably what we'd expect from a summer flat fixture. I can't I can't speak on behalf of the trainers. Obviously, the, the amount of runners that we have got this year is less than a typical year. That's for sure. Um, it's been like that for the last few race meetings since things have dried up. Um, I'm obviously disappointed with the numbers of runners, but um, taking it bit, taking it on the chin and hoping that um, for our last four race meetings, thing, things will cool down a bit. You'll start seeing rains coming back later this month, hopefully, and during September. That's the hope, and we're getting a few more runners um, to, to finish off the season. But yes, um, this, this year has, has seen considerably less runners here, particularly in the last six race meetings, than we would usually. 
And field sizes aside, are you happy with the quality that you've attracted, especially for the two pattern races that we run over the next couple of days? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, they're, 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 they're well up there, aren't they, with the ratings? Um, they're obviously two of our favourite races. The other, they've been seeing some super winners um, in recent years, <clears throat> you know, with Journey going back a few years ago and Alpinista two years ago. Lilac Road was a very admirable winner last year. <clears throat> you know, she's, group, she's a Group 2 winner and Group 1 place now. And the, um, the sovereign stakes, I mean, they're four proper Group 3 horses rated between 108 and 111. There's very little between them on the ratings. And so they're, they're proper Group 3 horses. And although the field's a little bit small, you know, that they could serve up a pretty decent race. Just finally, attendance, midweek fixture, sun's out. What sort of levels are you hoping for? Um, 2,000 plus to maybe a little bit. I mean, we've, we've done about um, 1,500 tickets both days, uh, but we do have good walk-ups with it being summer holidays. So 2,000 to 2,500. I mean, our, our weekday afternoon fixtures have been down about 15 to 20% generally throughout this season. We did have two Saturday nights in July, which very much held their own and were, were similar to pre-COVID times. But um, yeah, like, like many people in, in my situation, the smaller race courses, those weekday afternoons, uh, um, and indeed, some of the bigger tracks, you know, we're, we're down on that sort of average 15 to 20%. We, 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 we follow that pattern. Lee, this weather is it's proving quite a problem. We're struggling with field sizes as it is. And now the ground's putting trainers off. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I suppose you have to make the, you have to make the point, this is the summer. And um, we would normally expect in August to have quick ground um, for flat racing. That, that, that be the norm this is when fast ground horses should have their opportunity but of course the fast ground has got wider implications it's probably quicker than we would expect this time of year and we've heard reports of of trainers not being able to work horses in the way they would like to at home we heard of Newmarket's water gallop being closed for the first time uh, in an awfully long time so I think the the ground is clearly a factor but I think we also have to make the point that in all probability what we are having this year, although it's relatively unusual in terms of the the excessiveness of the of the dry weather and the, the prolonged dry spell, it's probably not going to be unusual if all the experts that we're hearing um, are correct. Well, it, it, exactly, and we're almost uh, possibly going to have to start getting used to it. Um, so trainers, should they be running their horses? I mean, take Salisbury, for example, I know. Um, Jeremy mentioned that they've had fixtures run on firm ground a few weeks ago, but they've put a lot of effort into this uh, the next two days and it's good to firm ground. Should they be running their horses? Well, I don't think it's for me to say to a trainer that the, any horse that they're not running, they should be running because I don't know the individual circumstances and trainers will be doing what they believe is best by the horse. But on the other hand, I can absolutely understand why a race course like Salisbury would be enormously frustrated this week. These are their two marquee days in the calendar. They've got a strong listed race today at Group 3 tomorrow. The Sovereign State is their biggest race of the year. They're only going to have four runners for that contest. They're putting up tremendous prize money for, for a track of, of Salisbury's size today and tomorrow. They're a race course that, like, like a few others, pumps all their profits back into the business as an independent race course um, so they do everything the right way and they will undeniably feel disappointed that they aren't being rewarded 
with runners for their races today. The handicaps have got small fields. The, 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 the black type races haven't been particularly well rewarded numerically. So I do, I do think it's disappointing for Salisbury. And I don't think the, the field sizes that we've got on this occasion are any reflection on Salisbury. I think they've just been tremendously unlucky. It's worth pointing out as well, um, Charlotte, that we had the the depth through um, yesterday for tomorrow's round two, week two of this year's Racing League competition series. And as was the case for week one at Doncaster, even those races haven't filled. They're supposed to have 14 runners in each race with the seven teams fielding two horses. They've come nowhere near to doing that. Only two of the races have attracted full fields. Two of the races have only got eight runners in it, declarations, which is hugely disappointing, given, as I say, there's £50,000 available for each of those races, and there is a huge or a very significant pool of horses, in theory, available to run in those races. So I think that is disappointing for the racing league, but it equally just paints a picture of how things are um, at, a, on a, at a bigger level with those sort of horses. Well, um, and, and, also, and also, they can't blame the ground there, can they? Because, of course, it's on the all-weather, so that doesn't come, that's not a factor. Yeah, really good point. Yeah, you're absolutely right. They're racing on the all-weather at Linkfield um, at the moment, so you're right. That's not a point. That is purely relating to how many horses are available to run in these races, and there are too many of these races, and the Savile Group um, has made that clear to the BHA following its deliberations, and the Savile Group is absolutely right in saying that. Um, and just one other point on when we talk about field sizes, we're looking ahead on Saturday, one of the big races is the William Hill Great St. Wolfram handicap. Um, not one of the absolute biggest sprint handicaps of the year, but at 100 grand, it's not to be sniffed at. It certainly would be in the top six or seven sprint handicaps in Britain in the year. That only, only attracted 34 horses um, at Monday's uh, six-day stage. Only 34 for a £100,000 handicap. And worryingly as well, as was the case with the Stewards' Cup recently. There's a consolation race uh, for the, the Great St. Wilfred that usually broadcast like Great St. Wilfred on ITV on Saturday. And it means that with only 34 horses in the Great St. Wilfred, of which 20 will run in the Great St. Wilfred, there will be a maximum of 14 horses in the consolation race. And almost certainly quite a significant number less than that. So as with the, the Stewards' Cup, um, the, the, the problem with a lack of horses is apparent here and also apparent here is maybe the, a question mark around the wisdom in running some of these consolation events. And we'll stay with Rippon and the William Hill Great St Wilfred handicap as Ed Bethel joins me now. And Ed, you look like you could send out a new potential stable star in the shape of Black Rod in this race. How likely are we to see him? Uh, very much ground dependent. Um, I've spoken to quite a few jockeys who rode at Ripon on Monday and they were very complimentary on how well looked after the ground was. Um, so it's a case of just um, hoping that they've kept the water going onto it um, and going from there. Look, he has won on good to firm ground before. You know, he won on the uh, one of the July meeting last year on good to firm ground. So I would imagine that... It, you know, he, he, he goes on it. Um, I'm just not sure it's totally his preference. Um, but, you know, I, and as, I mean, I'm still learning about the horse. Yeah, uh, just 
starting um, going back to when you first got him, he of course ran for Michael Dodds at Ascot in the Wokingham, finished seventh, which was his last start. How long have you had him for? I've had him for just a month. Um, and he ran very well in the Wokingham. He got a little bit of day, too much daylight. Um, and, you know, the Wokingham's a, it's a very difficult race to win, um, isn't it really, as we all know. Um, and, and just so, what are his other options if Saturday comes up a bit uh, quick? Obviously, that I mean, my kind of plan was to try and run him in the Great St Wilfred, um, ground dependent, and then we were thinking about something like the Prix de Moutry, um at Deauville on the twenty eighth of August. Uh, those plans might all be up in the air, obviously, with the ground, and he might have to go straight there, or alternatively. There's the option of maybe going for the six furlong handicap at York, where we drew a bit of rain. I don't know how much rain we drew next week, but we drew a bit. Um, and then possibly going to the Garraby Stakes after that, uh, which is also at York. Uh, I mean, he did get a special entry in the Champion Sprint on, uh, obviously, the Champion Sprint on Champions Day. Um, he's an extremely nice horse. Uh, and I'm just trying to work him out and see, um, see where he best fits. Yeah, I saw the entries being given on uh, Champions Day and Champions Sprint. He must have been showing you quite a lot of home then to make that entry. Well, I can't really say that much um, because obviously I've been in him a month and he's not done a, whole, a vast amount since he's been with me. Um, but they had him entered in the July Cup uh, back in uh, and he was a non-runner there because the ground was very quick that day. Um, and so... I, Look, he's a, he's a, he, he, I think he's a decent horse. Um, how decent, I have, I, I honestly don't know. Um, and it's a case of just feeling my way and learning about him. And what's he like to train? He is quite a lightly raised four-year-old, but he is still a cult. Uh, he has the most wonderful attitude to life. Um, he is... You wouldn't if you, if you didn't know he was a colt, you would have thought he was a gelding. He's a very kind horse, and he seems to give you everything in his work, and he he just wants to please you. Um, and he's a beautiful big horse, um, and I I'm just very fortunate to be the lucky recipient. Yeah, what what does it mean to you to receive a horse like him, David Armstrong's given you some support already, but it's a horse he's you know as an owner and Michael Dodds, they've obviously thought a lot about him. Yes, uh, look, it means a lot. Uh, it, means, it means a lot to be supported by uh, a very uh, successful owner, be like the Armstrongs, um, you know, and to be trusted with a horse of his caliber. Uh, and I just hope that I can do the horse justice and uh, I hope that I can, um, you know, reward the faith that Mr. Armstrong and Mrs. Armstrong have shown in, uh, have shown in me. Well, uh, I look forward to seeing where he ends up and wherever he ends up he's living up to that group one entry then he should be well in well <laughs> <laughs> quite possibly but um we will we will we will see um you know anything can happen in those big sprint fields um but uh, he's a very nice horse for sure Well, Lee, yesterday the BHA announced that they are going to review the penalties for riding offences. Was this just a matter of time after the incident at Ascot in the Norfolk Stakes? Um, I think it's certainly added extra pressure on the BHA to do something. I think you, the BHA is in, in effect in a, 
in a quite handy position in that um, the jockeys, the people who they are penalising in instances of interference, are actually as a constituency among those through the PGA that are saying we want harsher penalties. So it's not as though the people they are regulating are saying that everything is all right now. Even Paul Hannigan, um, the man who was the, 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 the guilty party, the guy who received the penalty in that Norfolk state, when I spoke to him um, that day and the day after, he was making clear that he has seen incidents on other racecourses that he cannot believe work punish or work punish more severe. So I don't think jockeys will have any complaints as a group that the BHA is going to have a consultation process that almost certainly will result in stiffer penalties. I think there's been a, a conversation going on now for a long time about the inadequacy of some of the penalties relative to the offences that are taking place on race courses. I think there's a general wide, widely held feeling that um, there are practices going on on race courses that are increasingly um, dangerous and unsustainable for the future and that those practices either need to be nipped in the bud or they need to be penalised more strongly. And therefore, I don't think there'll be many people who hear a read of this BHA consultation process that will feel it's wrong. And I don't think there'll be many people who feel it's wrong if the BHA decides that increased penalties are required. Uh, do, do we have a timeline on this? We don't know. There was, there was reference in, the, in the, uh, the story in the Racing Post today that the fact that the BHA's Rules Committee, which is the, uh, if you like, the, li- the link between this part of the sport and the BHA board, they don't have a meeting now until October the 26th. But the, uh, the, the, the BHA executives with responsibility for this area, Brad Dunshaw and Tim Naylor, they don't sound confident that the consultation process will be resolved by then. Uh, in time to, to put a proposal to the BHA, to the uh, to the Rules Committee. So I think we're expecting it to take a little bit longer than that. I would imagine, based on what people are saying, that this is something that will go into the early part of next year. But I guess it's also something that is of such a severity and significance uh, that it's important to be done right. And if it doesn't get done until early next year, well, listen, that's longer than some people would want. But if it's done right, then that's probably a good thing. A couple of pieces of news came out of Ireland yesterday, and one being that Godolphin are unlikely to send any new horses to be trained in Ireland. And Joe Osborne, Godolphin's Ireland's managing director, joins me this morning. Joe, Mark Boylan did an interview with you yesterday for the Racing Post about this. Just explain the thinking behind this decision. Yeah, Mark uh, contacted me yesterday. He's, uh, we have a horse safecracker running at Gorham Park this afternoon. I keep, he probably just looked at the numbers. We're, da- we're down to just two. Um, you know, my, my, my response was about you know, the allocation of horses to trainers. Is, it's, a, it's an annual process. It's, it's done in the autumn every year. Um, you know, by the, the numbers have dropped in Ireland from over the past few years uh, to the extent that now we, we didn't allocate any yearlings to Irish trainers last autumn so we just have had two in training here at the moment one with Johnny Marta one with William McCreary um, you know, it's, 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 it's an annual process it's an annual decision and you know, just my my prediction was that um, it looks like heading into next year that you know, the, the focus is, is on quality over quantity and that the, 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 the yearlings that are allocated will go to the 
British and French-based trainers. You mentioned quality over quantity. Can we expect then to see a decrease in the total number of horses Godolphin have in training, or is this is simply a case of redistributing them? Um, I think um, I, I, I'm not going to quote specific numbers, but I mean, I think if, 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 if any, even a cursory analysis would, would probably indicate that that is the case anyway. Um, you know, I think the from an Irish perspective, uh, as the, the, the record shows, I mean, the, the, the UK-based trainers are perfectly placed to bring their horses over to, to, to race uh, in the, the group races here in Ireland. You know, most recently, horses like, like Nathan Trail are proof that. So it's, um, you know, the, the, the support for Irish racing continues but, and the participation in Irish racing continues. Uh, what was it that prompted the rapid increase in horses over there in the first place? Um, I wouldn't call it. It was it was never a, 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 a rapid increase. It, it, it has waxed and waned over the years. You know, we had um, you know, the, the numbers that went. It just, it, I don't know. It was never particularly rapid ones. You know, as the record would show. You know, we 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 quite a few in training with Jim Bulger at one stage. We had them with spread among several trainers. So it's 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 been. I'd say it was it was it was a gradual increase and and a, and a gradual decrease as well. And some of those horses you've had with Jim Bolger, of course, you've bought privately. Um, once they've run, they've shown some form and you've had some very nice horses, the likes of Dawn Approach. Is this something you'll still look to do? And would you leave them in Ireland? Or would that mean sort of anything you purchase over there is going to come back to the UK? Uh, that's, you know, that's looking into the hypotheticals that I just wouldn't be in a position to, to say. I mean, you know, any... Just been a range of different deals done over the years in terms of horses that have been purchased in training. Some have have, have been changed trainers, some have stayed with their trainers. So, you know, I, I think that's yeah, that just will, will will be decided on a case by case basis. Um, with this in mind, just looking at the stallions, can we expect the division of stallions in the UK and Ireland to remain the same, or is this something you'll look at changing as well? There's. The stallion rosters again. That's something that is subject to an annual discussion. The, the, the teams and both Dallam Hall and Kildangan are very closely aligned. Uh, are they're, they're, the horses are, are marketed uh, in, in tandem with each other? Uh, it's very important to us that we we have a, a balanced roster in, in both markets. So you know, I think that's it's it's from a stallion point of view. You know, just a, a lot of it hinges on which which horses are going to be retired to join the roster next year and we're not at the stage to, to have those decisions yet but it'll be it'll be made and you know I think it's it'll be it's certainly business as usual from a starting point of view. And just before you go I know you've got the Irish Thoroughbred Industry Awards uh, coming up for which the deadline closes next week? The deadline is on Monday next uh, we're keen to get some support as much as possible it's a big um, it's a big part of Godolphin's involvement here in Ireland and uh, we've, we've, we've rebranded them this year and uh, it's uh, so just for, for your Irish listeners in particular, I will encourage them to try and get get their, their, their employees or colleagues nominated uh, in advance on this deadline. Lee Mosset is back with me. Lee, is this a surprising decision, do you think? I don't think it's come as a surprise in the sense that they've only had two horses representing uh, Godolphin so far this year in Ireland, trained in Ireland. Um, so I think it was obvious that the numbers had dramatically reduced. I think what 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 is interesting is 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 why it's happened. Um, Joe Osborne talking about 
quality over quantity, which should be the approach of any major racing operation um, as it is. But it's interesting that they want to concentrate all, all their, their, their quality when you look at Britain and Ireland in Britain, as opposed to Ireland, where they've had success in the past. Now, clearly, that's almost certainly influenced by the fact that they do have two private trainers in Newmarket, in Charlie Appleby and Saeed bin Sarul. But it's still disappointing for Irish racing that we know Godolphin trained horses, no, no Godolphin owned horses, no Sheikh Mohammed owned horses in Ireland. Clearly, as an operation, it still has a very strong footprint in Ireland because of the, the bloodstock side of Godolphin and, and Dali with the studs and with the mares. Um, but I think it is an oddity that the the most significant uh, racehorse, individual racehorse owner in the world, Sheikh Mohammed, um, doesn't have horses trained in Ireland or won't have horses trained in Ireland. I think that does look a little bit strange. Um, and it's also one of those that, that's gone up and down for no obvious reasons. Of course, at, at the height of um, at the height of Godolphin's individual involvement in Ireland, the operation had 71 horses um, in the country. That's not that long ago. There were 41 horses in 2018, 27 horses in 2019, and then that's dropped to 21 to eight, and they say two runners this year. So it's been going in, in, in one direction. But I still think it's a shame for Irish racing and for the sport in general that those silks and that owner won't be physically represented by horses based in that country. And, of course, the other news, which is quite shocking, it was the attempted theft of Altior's half-sister, Princess Leia, and her cult by Free Eagle. Um, the Business Post Ireland actually reported this on the 6th of August. Lee, what do we know here? Well, we actually know quite a lot. We know that the, the, the mayor and foal, um, owned by Paddy and Rose Bean, was um, at a property... Um, uh, on the border of uh, Leash and Kildare uh, last Wednesday, um, and that the the people who sought to to steal the mare and the foal they made their way through uh, through uh, through two lock gates. One was secured by a padlock, but they still got to the to the two horses. Um, fortunately, um, to neighbours of the of the the property owners spotted what's what's described as an unfamiliar blue van and trailer at the entrance of the field and decided to investigate so thankfully the the theft was was stopped in its tracks um i don't know what happens to people who were trying to to take the horses um regrettably um the foal was hurt and required some veterinary attention the the foal will be fine the mayor will be fine but it's a it's an extremely dramatic and worrying situation um as as the racing post story referenced it immediately brings to mind the kidnap of of shergar all those years ago now of course the kidnap of shergar resulted in a blackmail attempt against uh the Khan and the horses other owners what we don't know here is what the motivation was behind the people trying to steal the two horses the only way one can imagine they could financially attempt to benefit from a theft would be through a kidnap because they couldn't they couldn't then go on and sell these horses um presumably because the horse's value is based in their in their breeding in their pedigree and they couldn't therefore 
they couldn't sort to claim those horses as their own. They couldn't attempt to sell the foal because, say, it would be maybe obvious that that horse was, was stolen. So it's hard to work out what they were trying to do um, if it wasn't for some sort of, of, of kidnap um, attempt. And we, we, we very, very rarely hear of anything like that. But I guess we will hopefully know more if um, the Guardi are successful in apprehending the people who try to steal the horses. Yeah, thank goodness it is a, a rare occurrence. But it must be quite worrying for these stud farms. You know, they, they can't keep an eye on all of their stock at all times and they're so spread out, um, you know, whether it's UK or Ireland. There's not much they can do, though, is there? I suppose all they can do is make sure they have the best possible security. But, I mean, we all... We all uh, drive around the countryside in, in Britain and Ireland and you very often drive past fields of horses um, and I don't imagine that if, if you are someone who is uh, bent on trying to steal one of these horses that in, in all cases it would be that difficult um, One, there's not a, a huge amount you can do as you say in the sense that you can't keep these horses all day behind behind locked doors that they're, they're, they're horses they want to be out in paddocks um so whilst in some operations it will be it will be harder to make those paddocks available to the public in some instances it's probably quite easy so yeah i think it's really worrying well the likes of inspiral caribus and state of rest will no doubt end up on a stud farm in the near future as part of their second careers but in the more immediate future they are looking to take each other on this weekend in the Prijat Lamawa at Deauville on Sunday. And Lee, it looks a pretty hot renewal, doesn't it? I think it's an absolute humdinger. Um, and you just hope that all these horses actually uh, turn up at, at Deauville on Sunday. It's, it's, it's sometimes a, um, a harder sell because it comes so close to the Sussex Stakes. The Sussex Stakes and the Prijat Lamawa are the two big summer European Group 1 mile races. They're not that far apart. Um, but you can certainly, I think, make an argument say that although the best horse of all by Yidra and the Sussex Stakes, the deeper race looks like it will be the Jacques Lemarrois. So you've got that renewed rivalry between Caribus and uh, Maljun from Ascot. Um, Inspiral is a fascinating addition to the race. Um, and if we get the Inspiral that won the Coronation Stakes, she would have a huge chance. If we get the Inspiral that was so flat in the Farmer's Stakes, she'd have very little chance. And I think State of Rest adds enormous interest into the contest in the sense that we know now how good he is over a mile and a quarter most recently with his win in the, in the Prince of Wales Estates. I think we're looking forward to him going back and defending his Cox Plate crown at Mooney Valley in October. But commercially for him, as a future stallion prospect, if he was able to win the Prix-Jacques-Lemarois, one of the really the real crown jewel European one-mile flat races, then his value would be greater still. So I think it's a wonderful race just with those four horses alone. And if they do all take their chance, we are in set for, we are set for something special. Well, State of Rest will stand as a stallion at Rath Barry Stud after they bought into him earlier in the season. And Neve Woods, who's a big part of that massively successful Rath Barry operation, is with me now. And Neve, what was it about this horse that made you think, right, we want him on our roster? Uh, basically, he um, he proved to be a very good, consistent racehorse. Uh, he kind of came on Paul's radar there 
now Sherry's been kind of watching him and following him and, and really liked what he had seen obviously from his two-year-old career going into his three-year-old career and you know to go on and do what he did in the Cox Plate last year after going through such an ordeal through everything as everybody knows now um, was sensational really and um, Joseph was adamant that really he thought the best was yet to come from the horse um, so considering he's by Star Spangled Banner who obviously is doing so well and he just kind of suited as an outcross kind of suited a lot of our mayors a lot of our clients mayors and he just looked like we would have the ideal potential and profile to uh, go on and, and do something really incredible and considering Joseph is such a good trainer he was spot on with, with his, with his uh, thoughts on that and his win at Royal Ascot in the Group 1 Prince of Wales stakes last time, he sort of surprised a few people that day, maybe the doubters. Did he surprise yeah. you? Uh, we were... Joseph was very, very adamant. Joseph had great faith. Shane Cross had great faith in the heart. Um, they really, really thought that he was working so well at home, that he was really coming to himself, that they, they were very bullish about him. And you couldn't help be bullish with their, you know, obviously confidence in the horse. So we knew that he was going to go close, but, you know, he blew us away the way he, he did it. He absolutely blew us away. And this weekend, he faces a slightly different task in the Pre-Jacques Lamarwa. He's, of course, already won a Group 1 in France over the, yeah. an extended Marmot quarter. What's the vibes yeah. from Joseph's stable? Has he come out of Ascot well? And are they confident he has the speed to uh, to win a Group One over a mile? Yeah, I mean, well, to be honest with you, he's he's kind of proven himself in in that you know in that kind of um, in in that sphere already, and they with the Group One. But I suppose okay, this is a little bit further, but like that, Joseph has the utmost confidence in the heart. Shane has the utmost confidence in the heart, and we can only you know, go by what your trainer and your jockey say and, and they've seen him work at home. Obviously they've um, he's had a, a, a nice break from Alaska to now and and they've been so encouraged for what he's done that you have to believe that he could do it, you know. Just in terms of his appeal as a stallion, what would it mean to win a group one over a mile? Well I suppose like to be honest, he's uh, he's 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 done it already in that he's kind of proven himself on the race course um, and in you know in, in four hemispheres as well, which uh, I don't know if, if that's ever been done before. I, I don't think so, but, but I could be you know wrong. But you know he he's an international horse now at this stage. Plus the fact that he's he's won from six furlongs to a mile to and a half and maybe, you know, obviously, hopefully Sunday would be great as well. Like, it, it is a huge boost for a lot of people with mares because, okay, it's great to get the sprinters, of course it is, but for the longevity of our industry, you need something with a little bit of distance. Um, Cody Bear has proven that. Uh, you know, he can get them with a bit of a trip. Uh, Acclimation, okay, is a sprinter, but he's got horses that have got a bit of a trip as well. So, you know, for the longevity of the industry, it's great to have the choice of stallions that can do that. And we're, you know, we're very, very confident that Stage West would be in that, that realm as well. 
last week he was of course given an entry in the Cox Plate to defend his crown. Is that still very much the plan, or were he to win on Sunday, might you temp- might you be tempted to to tackle more Group Ones in the Northern Hemisphere? Well, as you know, um, the lads down in in uh, Australia are have been in with us, and uh, they they, in fairness, have um, they're, they're very much the right and um, the will to obviously defend his title, and you can't blame them for that. Of course, they want to do it, and we're happy to row in with them as well. You know, um, it it would be fantastic if he if he did go on and defend his his title in in the Cox Plate and you're hopeful that he does and I mean the the boys have been fantastic and that they've you know come up to Royal Ascot with such numbers to support him they they're so enthusiastic um they're so happy to to go with whatever as are we obviously with what Joseph recommends and you know if he says yeah look the Cox Plate is on on the table then yeah the Cox Plate is on the table and with his profile down under, along with Newgate Stud also buying into him, who you talked about there, I take it the plan will be for him to shuttle between the northern and southern hemispheres on stallion duties? Yeah, yeah. He'll come to us um, at the end of this year. Um, that is the plan. He'll stand with us next season and then all going well. And, and obviously, you know, who knows what the future, with everything going on in the world, it's so hard to predict things. But, like, that is the plan. Um, he will do his Southern Hemisphere stint then um, next uh, next year after he finishes the Northern Hemisphere breeding season with us. Well, it all sounds very exciting. Uh, best of luck this weekend, and thank you very much for your time this morning. No problem. Thank you. Lee, just before I let you go, have you got a winner for us today? I have, and I'm hoping, Charlotte, to improve on some of my dismal recent form on the on the tipping front on the pod. I'm going to the final race at Salisbury uh, the, uh, this afternoon. Um, I, I, I can't I can't help Jeremy Martin out with any runners, but I can help him out with a tip. And I'm going to say in the four o'clock, thanks, Monica, uh, Hector Crouch riding for for Ray Beckett. Uh, she's a filly who's running in a pretty a pretty rotten race in terms of the quality of the horse in it. But she's a three-year-old. She has more potential for improvement than some of the horses in the race. She ran well uh, last time with headgear fitted. I'm hoping she can run even better this time and win the four o'clock at Salisbury. Thanks, Monica. Fingers crossed. Let's hope we have a winner. There's always hope. Well, thank you very much, Lee, for your thoughts today. And just as we record this, the breaking news is that Frankie de Tori will be aboard superstar Australian mare, very elegant, when she has her first start for Francis Graffa in the Group 1 Prix Jean Romanet on August 21st. So thank you very much for listening. Nick will be back with you tomorrow morning. Have a lovely rest of the day and enjoy the sunshine. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary.